Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Augustine Gottlieb III. Grand Brian Gottlieb Augustine III to you, now Gerald. What, what is your middle name? Matthew. Not that exciting. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to forget that because it, it is so basic. Anyway, we're, we're actually going to talk about magic this week. Are you excited? I am. I am. I am ready to talk about some magic. Uh, you know, everyone knows what's going on. Everyone knows our attention has been pulled in different directions the last few weeks. But we're ready to get back to our core mission, talking about Magic: The Gathering, and uh, it comes at a good time with just a ton of tournaments to play all of a sudden out of nowhere. Eh, I mean, you you kind of had to assume that someone somewhere was going to do something, right? I think that is a safe assumption, and it's been proven true, uh, both on Magic Online and Arena, just huge expansions of organized play. Yeah, a lot of different ways to qualify for the Players Tour now, but it's somewhat dubious as to whether, well, I mean, I get those tournaments are going to fire in some form or fashion. I just like don't know when or how because one of them already got canceled and the players that were qualified for that got pushed to the next one, but that one might, might not fire. And then it's like, all right, well, maybe we're just holding these online. I don't know. Right. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I, I, I do want to say a little piece of that about that because before I just like basically serve to advertise these tournaments, I, I just want to urge people that these are going to be some trying times. Be smart with your money. That's all I'm going to say about it. There's a lot of opportunities for play. And I, I think if you've been around the game as long as you and I have, you've seen people who have trouble with their magic spending. You've known someone who put themselves deep into debt chasing a pro tour dream. I know I have known multiple people like that. Not me. Not You're a lying. single person. You're lying. Yeah, but. Yes, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Dude, how many times when you were playing poker, you just like get busted out of a tournament and then you're like, all right, I should quit for the day. And instead of quitting, you hit join tournament and then your yeah. tournament fires. Oh, a classic move. And we've certainly seen that in Magic. And now you have access to basically that play with around the clock qualif- qualifiers. So I'm just urging yeah. people, please be smart and spend within your limits and understand that your limits could change very quickly. And that's all I ask. And if you're willing to do that for me, then I'm willing to prepare you for these tournaments the best I can. Word. And I will also caution that the players tour as you were chasing it uh, you know, two months ago or so is likely not going to look the same. It may or may not happen online. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, I know that, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but like knowing the people who are involved, I can firmly say that like Wizards definitely wants these tournaments to happen and Wizards definitely wants players to, you know, feel like they they did get something out of their invite and qualification. And they they want the players to feel like it is comparable if if not you know just as good as what they were expecting you know what i mean like they they want to hit expectation at the very least yeah yeah i'm not not trying to caution against like oh i think wizards is going to take something away from you the furthest thing possible from that they want magic desperately just like we all do it's just the circumstances are going to be really weird for a long time so you should be contemplating that in your calculus of how much do these events mean to me right and i i do want to caution against that because i i think it is fair for people to be like yes i qualified crap what the hell does that mean like what is this tournament going to look like when is it going to happen etc etc and i i think just be prepared for that because the world is changing and will likely continue to change and 
I think most people are, are probably going to be okay with that, but like you need to know that going in. And I think that the end result is going to be satisfactory at the very least. So yeah, like if, if you were chasing a, a dream to qualify or whatever, like these tournaments do exist, I think they're a pretty reasonable way to get there and you get to do it from, I, I want to say the comfort of your own home, but like, I don't know, I'm the grass is always greener, man, right? Like I, I always want to be at home except for when you tell me I can't. And now I'm just like, I kind of want to go outside. Yeah, now you're a nature person all of a sudden, like dying to go on hikes and explore the wilderness and you just feel walled in. No, so I could probably do that, right? Because there there's there would just be like so few people out there in theory. It's well, like it, it's it's weird here, I'll tell you that. Like because the population density is high in Seattle, like there was actually a large problem where the trails and like hiking like known hiking areas were just absolutely loaded a couple weeks ago when yeah. people were otherwise like on lockdown. But so that's that's because like Seattle area is known for that sort of stuff, right? right. Whereas I'm I'm now in Richmond. So I, I highly doubt if there are, you know, like I've, I've driven to some parks to sit in my car and, and play Pokemon go, you know, just where I'm like, I need to just get out and do something. Sure. And yeah, there's very, very few people there. And I don't know of like any trails in the area or anything. I know that there is an area on the waterfront in actual downtown Richmond that is likely very, very popular because it was before when we were quarantined, you know? So I think you could find like uh, a very unpopular place and then just have it end up being completely empty. But yeah, obviously if you're in a place like Seattle, it's like, no, that's, that's what everyone's going to do. But yeah, now I'm just like, Oh, I kind of want to go hang out with a, at a mall with like a bunch of people, a bunch of strangers, you know? And I'm just like, no, otherwise your least favorite place on the planet. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I like never in my life have I said those words except for like, you know, the last two weeks. Sure. Anyway, comfort of your own home. It's great. Trust me. Don't trust me. So standard or? Yeah, I I mean, I I think that's where we got to start our discussion. Obviously, there are many ways to play Magic right now with Magic Online also expanding their offerings. And they're doing it across every format, legacy, modern, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. But the hard focus this week does seem to be on these standard qualifiers. If you don't know how they work, basically you sign up. 25 bucks, you 5-1 or 6-0, you get invited to a tournament coming up this weekend. So we'll have a big tournament to talk about possibly next week when we come back, which is nice to have that kind of event back on the radar. But we also have a ton of results pouring in from just the day-to-day here. We've gone through this for three days now. Today, a couple of tournaments were lost to some issues on Arena, still smoothing that out. And this is kind of the first real big stress test that arena has been facing. Hopefully this is just a hiccup and not something that's going to become part of the song and dance when it comes to arena. I am willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. The program has been mostly stable up till this point and everything on the internet is a little quirky right now. I know we were having some issues with our communication software earlier in the day. So, you know, I'm willing to give a pass on this and assume it's just a one-time thing for now, but yeah, you five, one, six, Oh, and you get an invite to this weekend tournament. And it seems like people are really enjoying these events and there's a lot of metagame evolution going on. Yes. Looking over these deck lists, it's like, what the hell happened in standard? Like I, I was mostly caught up as far as, uh, Rakdos aristocrats kind of popping up and taking over. And now I'm looking over the list and it's a lot of name players too. Just like Pascal Maynard, Michael Bonda, Yuta Takahashi, like people, people are just out there gaming. So (laughs) 
once you get like a winning record, it might feel like you're playing on a player's t- tour, right? Like there's uh, Taria Kakame too, just a, a lot of very, very good people. And the top of the heap for the first batch of decks were two Sultai, like sort of ramp decks. Yeah, not something we anticipated happening. And I, I feel like I say this a lot when it comes to these mishmashes of good spells in like that's their core tenant as a deck this is what i do i put together a bunch of really good spells and then i play growth spiral and play my spells a little bit ahead of curve and that's enough in a lot of instances because the spells are so powerful i hate these decks but yep power is power and if you do your thing and you have sideboard plans against the field and nobody can punish you then you're in a great spot and there's no punishing going on right now. There is very little success from the aggro side of things. If you look through the breakdown of the metagame here, and we, we actually do have a full metagame breakdown courtesy of our friend Robert Taylor, Fire Shoes on Twitter, if you want to check him out. Always has really good information to share with everyone, but gave us a full rundown of what has not only done well, but what has been represented. So we have conversion rates that Robert put together. And I am super thankful for those. We'll talk about those as we go through this discussion too. Yeah. And then uh, one of the other decks that was gaining a little bit of traction was the blue white blink deck. And I tried that out a little bit, kind of, kind of clunky. Uh, People have made some changes since then, but certainly if the field is slowing down and people are playing like more ramp type setups, then agent of treachery Thassa is obviously super powerful. I mean, the Sultai deck has access to Thought Erasure, which is a pain, and they have things like Casualties of War, which can keep you off of seven mana and stuff. So it's it's not like a lock, you know? It's not as great of a matchup as you would expect it to be, but that's uh, another different way that you can kind of go. Yeah, a lot of ways to throw haymakers right now. What do you think the best place to start this discussion is? Do you kind of want to talk about these conversion rates first? I, I think that's a nice place to frame the discussion because it tells you what's having the most success as we stand presently. Yeah, go ahead. Break it down. Okay, so there's some some outlier results here. These sample sizes aren't tremendous in a lot of instances. So I'm going to get rid of some really small sample sizes, things like Rakdos, Discard, Soldai Command, Simic Adventures, Mono Green Stompy. Those are all four or fewer representatives. When we get to the decks that actually have some significant metagame representation, the best conversion rate presently belongs to another one of these big spell, hold it all together with Grow Spiral decks. It's Bant Ramp. And that's a deck, if there's any deck that has experienced a huge, huge explosion in popularity over the past few weeks. It's certainly Bant Ramp. Yeah, like Bant Ramp kind of rose up and then it was Aristocrats and now it's Sultai. And Bant is basically what you're talking about, where it's like a bunch of Mythic Rares and Gross Spirals or whatever. And I don't know, for some reason, I like the Bant decks, but I'm just offended by the Sultai decks. Do you do you have like that same impression? I'm not huge on either of the decks i I guess the bant decks feel like they do have a more coherent game plan to me like they position themselves in a way to control the early game with shatter the sky and then it's just like here's my haymaker threat as opposed to here's my haymaker answer in the form of casualties of war instead they're doing something like nissa or dream trawler or you know one of their other big finishers and that makes a bit more sense to me so it feels like this deck is pushed a little bit more towards interaction at the polls than the 
Soltai deck, which has to play a bit more of a mid-range game and like extract value from its cards, whereas Bant can slam the door shut much harder, I would say. Yeah, Bant also started out looking kind of like a Simic ramp deck that just splashed like Shatter and Elspeth Conquers Death, and then people got away from the Paradise Druids and started playing more double white things like Dream Trawler, and now it just looks like a blue-white control deck that's just playing all the green cards. So yeah, I mean, Bant naturally just looks like it has more synergy, I think, than Sultai because it's very similar to a deck that already existed. That makes a lot of sense to me. One of the 6-0 representatives was Roman Fusco playing Bant Ramp. His list in particular is just like able to stretch on into infinity Tamio in the deck alongside Shatter the Sky. And no matter what your opponent is getting up to, you have capacity to play a long game against them with four Elspeth Conquers Death, rebuying your Nissas and Tamios, and you just stretch the game out into perpetuity and eventually are going to overwhelm them in a way that I don't know if Sultai can do quite the same thing. Like we've all played the Azorius Control games where Elspeth Conquers Death basically lets you weasel your way out of any position you're in because you'll just generate so much value from it over a long game, especially in combination with something like Teferi where you're getting multiple rebuys on it. Well, here this Bant Ramp deck has such better options to turn to when you talk about Nissa and Tamiyo as ways to actually close out a game. So in some ways, maybe this is just the best Elspeth Conquers Death deck and that's where its identity actually lies more than being a ramp deck. Yeah, and Roman's gas. I trust Roman. Uh, he's one of the few people still playing Arboreal Grazer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like a lot of these lists are also now playing 29 land in instead of playing like the Paradise Druids and stuff. So I, I like that. It, it is it is weird to me, though, that we live in a world where like, you know, obviously the Field of the Dead decks were kind of like an outlier, but it's like that deck had four Once Upon a Times and 28 to 30 land. And now we're just like playing 29 land like and not batting an eye at it. Yeah, what do you make of that? Like, what is can you? It's gross. It's gross spiral. It's just gross spiral. Yeah. Well, and like Uro and Arboreal Grazer kind of add to that too. But for the most part, it's just like I'm going to accelerate into five mana, and then I'm going to play one of my bomb cards, and then that is going to lead to me having additional resources somehow. And it's not like you really run out of gas, and you have plenty of ways to use your excess mana and stuff. You basically just don't want to miss a land drop. So why would you? Yeah, you just need to push to a point where your snowball starts and then cards all replace themselves, sometimes replace themselves in multiples. And as long as you have played mana, your cards are going to generate more cards on their own. Yeah, so this is not really applicable to Grow Spiral itself, but I remember back in the day, like people would play ramp decks, like even the Primeval Titan decks, where they would have things like literal rampant growth and Sekiro Tribelder and stuff like that. And they would have like 24, 25 lands in their deck. And it's like, you're playing this rampant growth deck where if you play a rampant growth and you're trying to hit four mana on turn three, but instead you have to just play another rampant growth to hit your fourth mana, you haven't accomplished anything. Like, I I I understand that you look at your deck and you're like, well, my deck has, you know, 40 mana sources or whatever, and I don't want to flood. And it's like, you kind of do. You kind of, like you're playing these rampant growths to accelerate you, not to get more mana sources in your deck, you know. And this deck is very cognizant of the fact that it wants to play Gross Spiral and Uro and Grazer and make sure that it's actually getting value from those cards because getting to five mana ahead of schedule is so significant. 
I'm a big fan of the type of decks where I often find myself saying, as long as I make my land drops, I feel fine and I will win the game. Like in general, I tend to trend towards those decks anyway. And now standard is just all those decks and everyone plays huge, huge land counts. And uh, it's it's kind of right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. And uh, Gross Spiral and Uro, I think, make it a little more obvious that you're supposed to be playing more lands because I think if Gross Spiral is literally just rampant growth, then people would still be playing like 26 land. Well, maybe that's true. But even stuff like Fires is now like 27, 28 lands. Occasionally, even Fires floats to 29. I've seen it before. So they, I mean, they, uh, they started heavier. They started at 29. Yeah. Or like, I think, I think Juza had like 27 or 28. And then Pika was the one who was playing 29 and refused to ever side out lands and stuff. And now, yeah, people are mostly settled on 27. But yeah, again, that's just one of those decks where. I don't know, your curve stops at five. It's not that outrageous to only play like 26 lands in that sort of deck. Like you have some cantripping power with like Teferi, you have the scry lands and stuff. But I, I I think that more lands is correct. I'm just surprised that people are willing to play more lands than they used to be. Yeah, definitely a new school of thought when it comes to these decks. And we've talked a lot about how the last six months has felt like a time of challenging assumptions. One of the big ways we did that is with the core set 2020 sideboard cards and them starting to creep into main decks in very large numbers. That trend has continued. But one of the other big trends over the last few months has also been this dramatic increase in land counts. And it it feels correct to me. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about an, another heavy land deck, the second best conversion rate among widely played decks. Uh, goes to Team of Reclamation. And this was a deck, obviously, early on in the format. You and I both very, very high. We devoted a lot of time on our podcast to this deck. And then it had kind of a down period after the World Championships. It seemed to disappear for a bit. Really was being effectively targeted in a lot of ways, I think. Mostly by the Azorius control decks. They found really solid plans against Team of Reclamation. And also, Mono Red started to get a really nice win percentage against Team of Reclamation. And as both those decks have seen their metagame percentage reduced, now it is time for Team Reclamation again. How do you feel about this deck in the present environment? Yeah, I'm in. Anytime someone is trying to mid-range fight you, Team Rec looks very, very good. And I don't know, like I, I have certainly been on record saying that like Team Rec is just not really a good deck. And I kind of still feel that way about like it and to some extent these ramp decks and to some extent Jeskai Fires, you know, so like these these decks all have issues. They're all fine uh, and they, they all just kind of have their moments. And right now, to me, looks like a very good Team Rec moment if everyone's playing like fires and grow spiral basically yeah it goes over the top of a lot of stuff you have access to really good sideboard cards in particular against other uh go large strategies so i am right there alongside you i i think this is a very good approach for the current metagame it's what i would have been playing this week partially based on comfort partially based on positioning i don't see anything that really scares me off it yet. I don't see the type of adjustments that I'm worried about. I, I guess like the Sultai stuff can be problematic if you aren't prepared for it because Casualties of War like does nug a lot of things you care about, but you can also account for that card in a lot of instances. And I think Team Reclamation has jukes to make when it is being effectively targeted. 
Yeah, the, the thing about these Sultai decks, though, is they're like Cavalier of Thorns, Krasis, Uro, just like a bunch of cards that don't really matter. Mm-hmm. And then Aether Gust, Casualties, Thought Erasure kind of do matter. Like, Th- Thought Erasure is just going to be great basically every single time. Aether Gust has its moments. Uh, if they don't have any pressure, then Aether Gust doesn't really matter. And then there are certainly situations where they can kind of pin you to the point where you have to move forward with the game because they're clocking you. And that allows casualties to actually, you know, pick off two or three things and have it matter. But for the most part, if they are not clocking you, you just have the ability to slow play around it. But Nissa is obviously like the big card that, you know, does put a clock on you, does generate them a bunch of extra mana and does make it really easy for them to force you to act, which then makes a lot of their other cards better. Right. Yeah, so maybe some concessions required to account for those cards. But once you do that, I am confident that Team Erec remains in a good spot. Yeah, me too. And even looking at the way that people are building their sideboards, like they're not really accounting for it. You know, like Pascal has a couple negates, one thought distortion, which, you know, obviously that card is just lights out if it <laughs> if it gets cast. Yeah, you know, and like a disdainful stroke, another aether gust, but just like nothing that you're super scared of, like nothing that you haven't had to beat before at some point. So it, it doesn't seem that bad to me. Uh, if, if anything, Jeskai with Robber the Rich, Legion War Boss, Mystical Dispute out of the sideboard, like that is, that's tougher. Sure. Yeah. And I, I'm not exactly sure what those decks are contemplating right now, uh, but we'll save that for when we move on to talking about them. Ready to move on to the next deck here? Hit me. So Robert has written here four color super friends and I I don't actually know what deck he's referencing with that. I've looked through these deck lists and don't see anything that really fits that description. So I may have to check in with him before I can opine on exactly what that is pointing to. The next deck I do recognize and has seen a bit of a resurgence as well is Simic Flash. Again, 16.7% conversion rate for Simic Flash. One of the Simic Flash qualifiers I'm looking at is Christian Calcano. Not huge numbers of Simic Flash decks around. I think this is a fairly low represented deck, but I've heard a lot of people talking about it. And I think some people are starting to get excited about this archetype again. Again, it's about the mid-range decks, right? If you're trying to cast Casualties of War, you will get beaten up by something like Simic Flash. Yeah, and even uh, Bonda's list of Team Rec incorporates a lot of those elements. He has Nightpack, Ambusher, and Frilled Mystic main deck. So... He's, he's kind of going like a step further towards hammering those mid-range decks and not really caring so much about aggro. Right, and I, d- I don't think he's the only one doing that. I am pretty sure Croaky's deck was built in a similar fashion. Just, it, it's labeled Teamer Reclamation, but it is closer to like a weird blend of Teamer Flash, Teamer Reclamation, or maybe he didn't end up registering that. I'm looking at it right now. No, it looks like he's a little bit closer to stock Team Rec. He was talking about something with Nightpack Ambushes for a long time, but they are back in the sideboard. This website I'm using isn't giving me the clearest indication <laughs> of what deck I'm actually looking at. So also, I won't also, name it, so I'm not bashing it, but it, there's not a clear database established for these decks right now. Yeah, also, I mean, the deck lists just change very frequently, especially for like streamers and stuff like that. And sure. as these results are coming in too. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And actually, I don't even know where these deck lists are derived from. So I I can't really say uh, if people are pulling them from Twitter or exactly what's happening here. But 
certainly they're searchable. They're out there. If you go and look at Kroki's Twitter page, I'm sure he is sharing it. He's always very open with his information. But I've seen a lot of talk about shifting more towards a counterspell heavy build of Teamer Reclamation and also going back to Simic Flash. Yeah, I'm trying to see if Channel is tweeting them or not. Yeah, they have the six O's up on their website, but fewer five ones. Not really getting those results. And mysteries. I'm sure well, as the system gets fleshed out, there will be much better databases for these deck lists. I mean, this is a organized play program that is in its absolute infancy. It kind of materialized out of nowhere in just a couple days. So I'm not faulting anyone for not having really established systems. I'm sure we'll get better and better data as the time goes on. Ready for the next deck? Hit me. Jeskai Fires, 14.8% conversion rate. The absolute staple of this format has been Jeskai Fires. It has been present in all metagames, no matter what the shift has been. Jeskai Fires has been there. And the entire time you and I have been talking smack about it and not on board with Jeskai Fires. Has your, has your tune changed, Gerald? Is this the moment where you finally say you've had a change of heart and you're on board with Jeskai Fires? It had its moment. I think that moment is mostly past. Uh, when people got to streamline the list with things of foresight, that helped a little bit. People further lowered the mana curve, added some brazen borrowers. That helped a little bit. And then the sideboard plan of Robert the Rich, War Boss, Mystical Dispute, as I mentioned, is also quite good and allows you to dramatically alter what you're trying to do in post-board games, which is one of the most powerful things you can do in magic. You know, like right. they, your opponent's sideboards for your fires plan with, you know, just like loading up on Elspeth Conquers Death, Disenchant, stuff like that. And then you just like Grizzly Bear with haste them and they, they can't do anything. Uh, so I think that when that plan showed up for Worlds, it was in a good spot. But now everyone knows about it. They should be prepared for it. And it's it's certainly less good than it was, but like the deck still exists and is going to be able to continue to succeed because it has that pivot, even though people know about it. You know, like there's only so much you can do, right? Like you really have to make a conscious effort to build your deck in a certain way. Really, a lot of the benefit for Jeskai Fires comes when they actually get paired against someone and then that person is like, oh, I did not build my deck to account for this and their sideboard plan. You know, so like you have to do a lot of the work up front. That tracks. You know, I, I am past the point where I want to say bad things about this deck. I have mostly conceded that it's not them. It's me. I'm the problem in the Jeskai Fires relationship. There's something I don't get. I agree with you that the sideboard plan is strong. I think it does do a good job of punishing less experienced players, less good players, quite frankly. It asks you to account for multiple plans and to also bifurcate your approach in a lot of matchups. Like You have to be able to account for whichever one of their two game plans they're going to be enacting, and that requires some careful sideboarding in a lot of spots. So it has really good punishment potential which I think is good when you're dealing with skill disparities. Jeskai Fires really exploits that. But I I still I still am low on this deck personally. If you like it, I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You're obviously on board at this point. It's been around for so long. The Jeskai Fires fans are not going anywhere. Yeah, basically the games I didn't like were when I would, you know, just draw a bunch of five drops or just draw something that's very clunky. 
And I think the deck has fixed a lot of those issues. And I've actually played the deck a little bit in the last few days. And I certainly had those games at times. And I think I took a, a few more steps towards making the deck even better. And I'm pretty happy about that. But I think that there are better options. Okay. Let's keep moving down the list then. Next up in Robert's list, we're looking at Simic Ramp, 13.3% conversion rate. Uh, I am assuming this is just like classic Simic Ramp based on uh, big finishers in Finale of Devastation. Not really a deck I expect to see right now. What are your thoughts on these kind of setups? Yeah, mostly outdated just because things like Bant and Sultai or even comparing them to Team or Wreck, for example, it, those decks have a more powerful game plan and just Finale of Devastation is not a realistic end game when you can add a third color and get more consistency to your end game. Like, you know, adding white gets you a bunch of different Planeswalkers, Elspeth Conquers Death, Dream Trawler, etc. Whereas if you stay in straight Simic, you have to play Finale or agent of treachery or whatever it's just not not good enough you should just add a third color at this point yeah red is not very high on my threat list right now if that's the case i'm not being punished for adding my third color and i think you just get a better mid game and late game with the addition of white to your deck so i i'm off also off the cynic ramp decks next up on this list racto sacrifice this was the deck that had a big surge in the last few weeks and it's kind of playing the role of aggro spoiler right now not doing a great job of it though 11.9 percent conversion rate like i guess that's still near the top half of conversion rates but if this is the world beater deck that is supposed to come out of nowhere and really change the format you'd expect better things from it and it seems like people have already made the adaptations at this point yeah again it it had its time right and i think that there were a few weeks where it was just absolutely crushing it on magic online was just like the vast majority of decks that they posted from like top 32s of big events and things like that. And that time has passed. Uh, the, the format moves quickly and it's it's going to continue to do that. Like how many actual viable different decks have we thought was like the best deck at any point during the standard season? A lot. I mean, there's yeah. been a ton of churn in this standard format and it's not like I don't think we had, we were wrong. Like we didn't mistake a deck as the best deck. It's just, there's been a lot of different best decks depending on how the metagame is shaped. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of my point is like, even, even the deck that used to be the best deck and is just relegated as, okay, this is one of the best 10 or 15 decks. Like those decks are all still viable, you know? Right. And I think the key to, succeeding in having a very good weekend is finding the thing that people are not prepared for. And you just get to decimate everyone like, you know, team adventures in, in DreamHack Anaheim, for example, like that, that is a classic example of how to actually succeed in the standard format. And again, team adventures, where is it? Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up. We're going to get to it in a minute, but it's especially pertinent when we're talking about Racto Sacrifice because one of the big reasons Racto Sacrifice showed up was because it just absolutely obliterated Teamer Adventures. Like it was the reaction to that deck having its moment in the sun. So now that Teamer Adventures has also fallen off a bit, the fact that Racto Sacrifice has fallen off shouldn't surprise anyone. Yeah, the, the thing with Teamer Adventures uh, that we posited was that 
it didn't do well in the last format because of Rakdos Knights, and there wasn't really a Rakdos Knights-esque deck in this format. Mono Red is like close-ish, but it's, I don't know, it's like all small creatures for the most part and very weak to certain cards, blah, blah, blah. And I think the Sacrifice deck filled more of a role like Rectos Knights did, where it's it's a little bit more resilient, its cards are a little bit more powerful on average, and the Teamer decks weren't really lined up to deal with that, but Rectos Sacrifice is also a pretty bad aggro deck. Like, it, it does kill you with damage, and it can, you know, kill you on turn five or whatever, but most of the time you're playing, like, these seven, eight-turn games, and the green decks are just way better at going over the top of that. No argument here. Next up on Robert's list, I see Teamer Flash with an 11.1% conversion rate. I am assuming this is the Wilderness Reclamation setup that we're talking about with a more aggressive slant and the Nightpack Ambushers main, I think, unless there's something I'm missing. Do you know of a different setup for Teamer Flash that I'm not familiar with? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I would assume that that's how the, the decks are categorized, but... I, I I don't have all of the deck list in front of me, so who knows? But I, right. I would assume that. Okay, I think we've said our piece about that. Next up on this list, Sultai Ramp Midrange, only a 10.5% conversion rate. And I feel like this has been a thread we've woven throughout this discussion because it does feel like these midrange decks are shaping the metagame to some extent. And this is a reaction to that. But you see... This deck not really doing that much. And people have been high on this for a few weeks now. I've seen a lot of talk around this deck. And honestly, some good results. Like it has certainly spiked its share of tournaments, including doing quite well in these qualifiers. I am not willing to buy in yet, though, for reasons we have talked about. It feels clunky. It feels very mismatch in a lot of ways. And it feels like it's got classic mid-range problems that the mid-range decks have mostly escaped from by virtue of their cards being so able to snowball and able to generate so much value. You don't really have to do the thing anymore where you're like, oops, I drew the wrong half of my deck because every card in your deck is just absolutely juiced. Here, it feels like there's some of that wrong half of my deck problem. Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's dubious to just assume that Casualties of War is going to be good against every single opponent because it's just not going to be. And that's kind of your payoff for ramping and also kind of your payoff for being in that color combination. Yeah, that checks out. I think there is still evolution to be done with this deck. I think we could see a version that I could get on board with. Uh, Certainly the spells are very powerful. And like I said, I don't want to question the results we've seen just really good finishes from this deck in a lot of spots i think it had a pretty good weekend on magic online as well so i'm not really trying to diminish it i i just think it needs to get some very specific matchups draw some very specific cards and that's not really what i'm looking to do with my tournament right now when there's such just powerful consistent options out there right i i would much rather be searching for something like team or reclamation that is going to have very polarizing matchups rather than play thought erasure casualties and, you know, just be flipping coins all day. It is effectively 48% against everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the feel I get here. Not about it. Next deck on our list, teamer adventures, 9.1% conversion rate certainly has fallen from its high of just a few weeks ago, but I mean, makes sense, well, right? It was a deck that was on nobody's radar. And now 
people accounting for it? Let's let's be honest. This is one of the more difficult decks to play in the format. And Very true. we're looking at conversion rate, not overall win rate. And we yes. haven't really had conversion rate numbers to compare to in the past. Okay, so maybe this has just been a consistent feature of the Teamer Adventures deck. The masters it's, get to convert. Everyone else flounders a little bit. It's possible. I, I don't know enough to say for sure. Okay, I'm willing to consider that possibility. I do think there are more cards that account for this deck than there used to be. There's some specific archetypes that just like weren't part of the meta previously that now are that I could see this deck struggling against. Uh, I heard some talk that the Bant decks were quite a bit better against this deck than like the Azorius decks, which basically had no chance whatsoever. Right. Uh, it sounds like the Bant decks do a much better job of handling the Teamer Adventures deck. So when one of your really good matchups has dried up in the form of Azorius control, it's just basically gone at this point. Uh, you can see why this deck could struggle a little bit. Yeah, remember when it like Azorius looked like it just had a stranglehold on the format and there was like nothing you could do? Yeah. It's interesting because if, if there is a best deck that we had wrong, that's the one, right? Like that's the one that actually there was just a way better build of it. And I think, like I said, Azorius Control made a lot of its money off of being a really good Elspeth Conquers Death deck, but there was a better one out there lurking all this time. Well, it was also a 12 counterspell deck and Teamer Wreck was a sizable portion of the metagame and was like picking up steam. So like, I understand sticking to that mode rather than exploring the various ramp options. Like if you, if you went down the ramp, uh, like the Bant option now, right? Like you just get clowned by Teamer Wreck. So it made sense for Azorius Control to exist in the form that it did at that point in time. What about now? Do you, I mean, do you see a window that it could possibly force its way back through? Or is it just like, because again, we're talking about six mana spells like Casualties of War. So you think like, well, if I can trade my three mana spell for your six mana spell, I should be ahead on these exchanges. The main problem I see is that you could main deck a bunch of Dovin's Vetoes before and not really care because it was pretty much good against everyone. And that's not really the case now. Mm. Many more Hydroid Crisis floating around at this point. Yeah, Crisis and, and just like more creatures in general too. And I don't know. I just feel like the Bant decks do the thing where they kind of outmana you and then they start double spelling and trying to stop that with counter spells is not the best way to live your life. And playing a more proactive game alongside them, you know, just like Saltai versus Bant, for example, I think is more likely to be favorable or at least like produce more favorable results than trying to play draw go with them. Yeah. I think that checks out. I, I, there is a, there is a world where Azori's control can make a comeback, you know, but like a, a lot of it is going to be like, Oh, well we can't rely on absorb Dobin's veto. So we have to go this mid range route. And then again, it's just like, well, let's add the third color. Right. Something better so, to be doing. Yeah. So in a sense, it, it does kind of exist, right? With with the band decks and the way they look now. Right. We'll have more to say about Azorius Control in just a moment. And the fact that it's coming up so late in this discussion should tell you a little bit of important of exactly what we will have to say. Uh, but the next deck on the list right now, Mono Red, 8.8% conversion rate. Uh, one of those is Sandy Dog, who doesn't count. Sandy Dog will just always win with red. So one of those results already crossed off. Uh, like I said, not high on red right now. I think 
all these decks have an option in main decking Ether Gust, which is just good against everyone. A really strong card against mono red, particularly Ember Cleave setups. Teferi doing a nice job also taking away one of the best trumps that mono red has to offer. So much life gain in Hydroid Crisis and Uro. It just feels like the format is very well set up to account for mono red right now, naturally, don't, without even trying to account for it. Yeah, don't try and sell me on like Teferi being good against them, though. So it's one thing. I'll give you that. It's not like it's one of your best cards against them. But when your bad cards against them still have an impact in the matchup, yes, like that points it, to fair. being that's very fair. well positioned. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it just like, you know, that's one of the top three cards you list off against them. And it's like, yeah, that's like the first card I sure, signed out. But sure, sure. you're you're right where it's like they they played Annex, you play Teferi, get the repulsor thing, and then they have to send like their Scorch Spitter at it or whatever. You know, like that. That's obviously a fine card. It's still something you're going to sideboard out. Right. Yeah, just uh, it fits with the whole theme, too, of something like Aethergust being in the main deck at this point. Like, is that the best possible card you could ever play against, like, a deck like Mono Red? No, but the fact that it has so much versatility and it's just always there to answer whatever problem you may have gets you a huge amount of points without sacrificing anywhere else. Like, you were just able to naturally build your deck in a way that accounts for what Mono Red is doing. I will give you Aethergust. Thank you. I'll take yeah. that one. No, you're you're absolutely Uro? right. Can I have can I have Uro too? Yeah, Uro's fine. I mean, okay. a, a lot of the games they beat you by going kind of big with like Annex, Steamkin, Torbrand, Embercleave. Like they they have a lot of power to the point where gaining three life uh, doesn't necessarily shut them out. You know, but yeah, certainly if you get to the point where you're escaping that thing, then yeah, it's it's lights out. It helps you uh, just kind of like lock it up against them, which is obviously nice. Bodies are getting big as well. Like you look at these Sultai decks and they have Cavalier of Thorns and Pelucranos and Uro. And it's just huge, huge fat for these red decks to work their way through. Even if they can get big, there's so much back end, so much blocking that these decks can do at this point. Yeah, Cavalier of Thorns is huge because any any non-Embercleave and, you know, maybe non-Torbrand. I think even against Torbrand, like uh, Cavalier of Thorns is going to do a lot of good work, but... Yeah, Embercleave is mostly the thing that's going to help them get around that. And then obviously you just have, you know, main deck Aether Gust to not even care. Mm-hmm. See any rebuilds for Mono Red? Any new setups that could potentially push this deck forward? Or is it a bit of a lost cause at this point? Uh, I mean, Cavalier makes it tough, right? Because you could make the argument like, oh, maybe I should look at the Escape Phoenix and just having maybe like some more flyers or something. It's It's kind of difficult because... You have the one drops, like you have Fervent Champion and then Scorch Spitter. You have Steamkin, Bonecrusher Giant, Torbrand, Embercleave. Like these are cards that you kind of have to play. And then what do you do from there? Well, there's there's like not a whole lot of wiggle room to like really dramatically alter your strategy, you know? So maybe if there is a thing you can do, it's get lower and play uh, the Cavalcade of Calamity. Mm, I was just going to say that. If there's something that appeals to me now... and. Honestly, none of this appeals to me, but Mono Red rarely does. So, like, don't take that as disqualifying. It's just that it seems like with these lands, uh, with these mana bases doing damage to themselves, there is some potential to just have that really explosive start. But those are the decks that really get hurt by the incidental life gain that all these decks are able to pick up because you're not yeah. going large anymore. And those are the decks that do get clowned by Euro in some instances. So, I mean, you, can, you can, you can, you still have Legion War Boss, Torbrand, Cavalcade. And you can burn people out from there. But yeah, most of the time it's like they 
they kind of stabilize, they kind of kill some of your creatures and you're just like, I, I can deal you like eight points of damage, you know, like right. you're, you're not even coming close to dealing them 20, let alone 26, but obviously their mana base helps you out a little bit too. So maybe Uro's closer to a break even than what it actually is. However you're building it, I would advise you to be careful with mono red. The masters of the archetype still going to be just fine. Like Sandy dog, obviously crushing it. Other players play at your own risk. That's my advice. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think there's merit to the Cavalcade one, but I know that people were messing around with that a few weeks ago, and then it just seemed like the masses ultimately settled on Rakdosak. So mm-hmm. I would imagine there's a reason for that. Yeah. Also a reason for the next deck on the list. We already mentioned it. Azorius Blink, just basically an option that could potentially go over top of the mid-range stuff going on, but really poor conversion rate here. 7.7% for Azorius Blink. Have you messed with this deck at all? I, I, I was I into did. it a few weeks ago, and yeah. I was like, I was okay with it, but it just feels like there's better things to be doing again. So my reaction to playing with the deck was, why weren't we just playing like your week one Simic deck? Like, sure. I, I would much rather grow Spiral Thassa, Agent of Treachery people than Charming Prince. Yeah, I that, that, that sums it up. That's all I have to say about it. If you think Thassa, Agent of Treachery is what you want to be doing, I firmly believe there are better ways to do it. Yeah, ramp into it. And honestly, we haven't we haven't seen like a ton of Thassa, and this kind of seems like a Thassa moment. Like Thassa sort of got outclassed by like Team Wreck, and obviously you don't want like you could target the mid-range decks by like Thassa agent of treachering them or by team wrecking them, and you don't want to do the Thassa thing if you're just gonna lose to the people that choose to team wreck. Uh, so maybe it's still not even a good choice, but like if there was ever a format to do it, I think that this meta game is kind of ripe for it. I could buy that. We'll have to see if that's something that pops back up in the waiting days of this format. One of the things that makes me angry with these Rakdosak decks, especially when Jeskai Fires is so prevalent, is that they're not playing the Akroan enchantment steal them business thing. The you Akroan War. About. Yeah, the that Akroan one. The Akroan War. I mean, we were super high on that card when we were in preview season. The first few times I played against it, I started to think it might be a format staple. Uh, I obviously tempered my expectations a little bit from that point as time went on. Uh, but there's power there for sure. Dude, look at all of these Cavaliers and Uros and stuff. Like Big that, creatures, yeah. That card that card is nice right now. When when I was messing around with Rakdosak, maybe like a couple weeks after... Theros dropped, one of the first things I did was shave on Claim the Firstborn and move up on the Akroan War. Mm-hmm. And th- the sense. format doesn't seem that different, honestly. So there's a, a hot pickup right now. Try out those Akroan Wars, see what you can do with them. I'm going to do that. I finished my article already, and I got some some arena time post-cast. I might brew up some Rakdos action. Any interest in going back to like a Crow and War Thassa decks? That was part of the format very early on. Elementals type setup. I'm a little concerned about vulnerability to Shatter the Sky, quite frankly. But you again, that's a deck that scales really, really hard as you get to the late game. There's also some Elspeth Conquers Death problems, I think, as well. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to cat oven people too, so. Hmm. Okay. You do you. Do your thing. It's got some suspect cards in these decks, man. I don't know. Meyer Triton is a card that like Timur I want calls to be good. the dead. Cr- yep. Dude, even Croxa. Like, yeah, okay. Croxa oven is cute, right? But Croxa itself is just no good, man. Like you you really you're stretching your two drops 
Like you think you, you think your two drops are that bad that you have to play like Croxa and Meyer Triton, like these things that don't even really do anything. Come on. These are all cards that I theoretically like a lot and have put into a lot of decks. And yeah, then I same. stopped playing those decks very quickly afterwards because they don't actually be anything. So Correct. I am I am on the same page as you. Yeah, I've learned that lesson already. No need to repeat it. Uh, also, no need to repeat playing Gruel Aggro, 6.7% conversion rate. Why? I mean, I understand you want there to be an aggro deck in this format. It would be nice if there was one. Uh, Gruel Aggro doesn't appeal to me in any fashion whatsoever. It never has. Give it a land and maybe I'll consider it. I don't know. All right. So I, I first thing I did was click on Rakdos Aristocrats. I saw a 5-0 by my homie Fastfake, who is a dope deck builder, specifically dope at building aggro decks. And I was like, I, I remember seeing his list, but like I didn't pay it too much attention. And yeah, he's playing Rakdos Aristocrats with four Robert the Rich. Okay. I'm in like for that. that. In for that. Yeah. Nice little card advantage. Sweet picked up there. Uh, do you have anything to say about Gruel Aggro presently, Gerald? I'm trying to move the discussion along and you're still oh, on no. Rakdos. You, you, you said it all, dude. Okay, you're, we're, you. we're good. We're good. Good. Uh, final deck on this list with an abysmal 3.8% conversion rate. That's not good. Azorius Control. Weird. So, I mean, there's a reason we're not seeing much of this deck presently. It's just not winning. We talked about some of the circumstances we could potentially envision for this deck coming back, but it needs a wholesale rebuild. And all of those rebuilds, to me, look like mostly worse versions of the Bant decks. If Mono Red makes a resurgence, maybe this deck can return. Uh, but I would advise you to put up the Azorius Control for the time being. Bullwinkle 6705, Rakdos Aristocrats splashing Lazav. What do you think? For copying Crocs, is that that's all we're doing with Lazav? That's it. Copy your Meyer Triton? Yes, yeah, just copying Lazav. That's it. Or uh, copying I don't. Croxa. I don't think that's the answer that <laughs> Rakdos Aristocrats has been looking for. Quite frankly, oh, the butcher, dude. The butcher's nice. You have so many sack outlets now. Sure. No, no one, no one's playing creatures. Uh, these things are mostly true. But I think there's a reason nobody is playing small creatures is that they get pretty hard and validated by a lot of these big spells that the ramp decks have access to. Turn three hard sweepers in many places, either with Shatter the Sky accelerated out by Growth Spiral or just still deafening Clarions around in very large numbers with Jeskai Fires. And I think the initial metagame was very Jeskai Fires heavy. The first few qualifiers launched with a ton of Jeskai Fires in the mix. That has tempered off a bit, but I still think it is, if you to look at the entire sample size, I think it's still the most played deck at this moment. I hate how all these decks are built. I'm going to fix them. You do that. You look, come back yeah, to look, our Discord, look. to next week's cast, all these scenarios where you can share all these fixed decks with us and you can solve the metagame for these qualifiers. And you too, Gerald, could potentially play the next players tour event how excited are you for that in 2025 <laughs> when society has been rebuilt from the ashes you will get to play the players tour yeah we'll we'll see how many of us are left how many right. how many people qualified that can still participate 
hopefully high numbers. That is my sincere wish. Well, yeah, me too. And, and I mean, a lot of young people qualify too. So maybe, maybe they'll all be true. fine. Very true. Really bleak here. <laughs> We're trying. We're trying to stay positive. I mean, like it was definitely a goal of ours going into this cast, but uh, it's hard not to have some gallows humor slip in as we go through the present moment. I think we did an okay job staying focused on magic yeah. and the metagame. Like we veered a little bit early on and we're veering a little bit here, but I'm proud of us considering the circumstances. I think we're putting together a solid show for our listeners that is legitimately preparing them to adapt to the next metagame. Yes, I agree with that. I, I am just disappointed in myself where certainly when I was a kid, I think my brain would automatically default to self-deprecation or just like very bleak stuff in general. And then mm -hmm. in maybe like the last five or so years, I think just as I got happier and solved, not solved, but like improved a lot of the mental issues I had and became a little bit more self-aware and stuff like that, wouldn't you know it, my brain automatically defaulted to like happy things. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm just like back towards defaulting to the negative and I, I, I really don't like it. I don't, well, there's, I don't, there's a chicken, chicken egg scenario going on there. Like if you were a head games fan, you certainly know the benefits of positive thinking and positive reinforcement. So you can lead yourself to happiness by just turning your outlook towards the positive. That is just scientifically proven. No, I know, man. I know. And that, that's what I'm saying is like, this is me becoming aware of the tendency Great. that I have now adopted. And this is, this is me trying to, you know, turn it all around and just go Good. back to, to back to where I was. Good. Yeah. Look, we're all going to have hard times. We're going to have struggles through this and I'm very comfortable being open about them. I'm very comfortable with them interjecting into this show. Like we put a lot of ourselves into this show and a lot of our personality into the show. And I also feel a bond with our listeners where I'm like willing to share that stuff and willing to work through same. it in a very public space. And I think a lot of our listeners are going through the same things. And look, my emotions over the past week have been a roller coaster. I've had days where I've just complete bleakness and, you know, a, a real despair setting in. And then I've had days where it felt like I could turn the corner and I could get back to a place where I could focus on the positive and focus on the things that I could control and the things that I can influence. And it's just going to be a back and forth as we go through all of this. And we're going to have good days and bad days. There's no shame in either. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to hear you talk about them and I'm happy to hear you recognize your behaviors right here on the cast and be like, well, I can look to address this. I can look to do something better about this. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's been kind of a weird time for me. Like a week ago, my average day was like, you know, wake up, play some some games on my phone, usually do a decent amount of winning. And then it, it would just like have me feel nothing. And I'd still feel like kind of depressed and downtrodden. And then like yesterday I woke up, just like lost all my games and then just kind of like went about my day as normal. And then just like at some point in the afternoon, I'm just like, I feel really good. I feel yeah. really like just, you know, like, not necessarily like happy, but like definitely upbeat and positive And like, I should channel this into something meaningful, you know? And it, it was, it was weird where it was like, I don't know, like clearly, clearly like the results of the games are not affecting me. Right. It's just like, 
by all logical means, yesterday I should have also felt kind of crappy, especially because I just like started my day off with a bunch of losing or whatever. But yeah, I, like, I don't know. Yesterday I just like woke up, felt pretty good, and I'm, I'm trying to keep that going. And then... I don't know, just at some point, like we're, we're having this podcast, we're talking, my brain just goes to like this, this pretty dark place. And I'm just like, yo, stop that. What what are you doing? We're trying to, we're trying to course correct this, you know? Yeah. I mean, recognition is the first step on that. So yeah. the fact that you saw it, you're correcting, that's all you can ask for. And, uh, and, and I get to say it publicly and hold myself accountable. Which hold yourself accountable. Better. Yeah. I agree. It's it's nice to have this platform to be able to use in that fashion. I know like a huge time of growth for me in a lot of areas was when I was making the Head Games podcast and I could just say things publicly and be like, I'm going to do this now and have to commit to it. And that kind of public forum to put yourself on blast if you slip up can be useful in some instances. So yeah, man, don't don't hesitate to use that if you need it. Yeah, just we'll just treat our podcast like they're our therapists, you know. <laughs> right. Thanks, podcast. Appreciate that. Appreciate you letting us vent uh, and get through this stuff. I mean, it it helps. It does. I agree. All right. So what else? Uh, in addition to the CFB arena qualifier thingamajigs, we have some uh, Magic Online PTQ expansion, which is cool. I I'm still having fun with Modern. Pioneer less so, but Modern's been tight. What's your beef with Pioneer right now laid out for us? I don't know. Just like all the decks do their thing, but they don't, they don't like none of the decks like feel good. They all feel like they're playing bad cards and missing things. And also it has the, the OG modern problem where it's just like ships passing in the night because there's just not relevant interaction for what decks actually exist in the metagame, which is just disappointing. So like the decks are not exciting to me. The gameplay is not exciting and the deck building is no longer exciting because like the, the tier two type of stuff I want to do is just vastly outclassed by the decks that kill you on turn four. Yeah. And if you look at the metagame from this most recent pioneer qualifier on magic online it, it's what you would expect it's three inverter decks uh two lotus breach decks that deck able to have a bit of resurgence as people stop accounting for it there's a sultai deck there is a uh mono red deck and then it was one by an soul artifact deck so uh kind of first real salvo fired by that deck i think it's pretty squarely like tier two tier 1.5 range but this is a very large result uh, and I yeah. have been impressed by that deck recently, but I mostly agree with your assessment. I, I do think some shakeup would benefit the format right now. It's not exactly what I want it to be at this moment. If I could play against a Thoughtseize deck every round, I would be cool with that just because the games are interactive and I'm including Inverter in that. You know, like if I get to play against like Sultai and Inverter every round, I'm pretty happy, but just like playing against you know, knights or mono red or something. That's just like 35 creatures for removal spells and land. And they do their thing. I do my thing. It's just like, why are we even here? It's a good question. What do you got going on in modern? What's got you excited over there? Valakut, Valakut, Dryad, blue cards. Okay. Uh, tournament was won by Amulet Titan. Yep. No loss of once upon a time whatsoever. Just went ahead, slotted in four ancient stirrings and still using Dryad of the Elysian Grove to Azusa, picked up three Karn the Great Creator. Despite the absence 
of Microsoft Lettuce in the format now, still able to use Karn to good effect in this deck. They, they had a Sun Home in their deck too, right? Yeah. Yeah, back to Sun Home Fortress of the Legion. So Yeah, I don't like that. But. Mostly has been replaced at this point. So it's a little bit weird to see. There's a Crumbling Vestige too. That's a card I've really disliked in the Amulet. But <laughs> yeah, same. holding all the chips here is mistaken. So congrats on a win with Amulet Titan. Second place friend of the podcast, Tangrams, playing Urza. What do you think about yeah. these Teamer Urza decks that are starting to pop up again? So there there are cards like Metallic Rebuke and Galvanic Blast, which are just among some of my favorite cards in the history of Magic. And it's so sad to me because that Urza deck is like so light on artifacts. Yeah, 12 artifacts. It's an incredibly low number. Oh, it's 13, actually. The Aether Spellbomb is mislabeled here. But Well, there's, there's like truly... Gilded Goose... You know, I mean, there there right. are Urza, obviously. Yeah, so there there are some fake artifacts in the deck, but like, I I don't know. Anytime you get to like Galvanic Blast on turn three for four damage, or like Metallic Rebuke on you know turn two as Mana Leak, or turn three for one man after also playing some other spell, like I am all about that. I just feel like these decks are being super risky when they don't necessarily have to like do you really need to play metallic rebuke versus like the archmage's charms and stuff that people were playing before like mm. i i get that the upside is huge but i really feel like you're not hitting that upside a high enough portion of the time to make that sort of commitment to like three metallic rebukes you know how funny is it that both these decks took just massive hits recently yeah who cares still great still one and two in this ptq just shows how far beyond the field these decks were and that's what we were saying about them at the time just players until they took it away from you play amulet till they take it away from you it was not close they were far far beyond everything else that was happening uh, i don't really have my eyes on any modern archetype establishing that kind of lead right now like i i still think amulet is among the best decks i still think the urza strategies are solid but i don't think their lead is quite as big as it was and maybe that'll give some space for things like the bant snowblade deck to step up and do something in the space or even just like more traditional bant without uh stoneforge mystic also has room to really start to squeeze the format a little bit yeah, and that's the thing that I'm kind of digging about Modern is that there is a lot of room for innovation and you see a ton of it happening in the leagues and the prelims and the PTQs and challenges and stuff like there's a lot of Modern being played and there's a lot of people working on new decks and new versions of things like Uro has definitely just been a card that has jump-started a ton of different versions of archetypes and... Right that's just going to continue to happen. And I think that that is super sweet. I think the, the gameplay is, is pretty good. You know, like Urza and Amulet are both kind of like messed up or whatever. And then there are the sort of dredge graveyard decks, but realistically all of that stuff, you still play a reasonable amount of interaction and the games are still pretty fun. Yeah. I'm looking at this fifth place deck from mental misstep right now Four color, yeah, blade stuff I, so, that looks like so, it's just straight out of Legacy, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I I thought that that deck looked like pretty heinous. It's like, oh, you know, like I can get everything I want in two colors. Why would I branch out to four? But that's just Arkham's Astrolabe just being like, do whatever you want. It's yeah, fine. Doesn't matter. Have a good but time. Like, yeah, I mean, w would I play Assassin's Trophy and Stoneforge Mystic and Uro in the same deck? No, 
but I guess you can. So Mize, I don't know. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's just like the most powerful options you can possibly have available to you. You may as well seize them because the cost is not there right now. And you do need to have your power scaled up if you're going to compete with things that still have these really, really explosive starts like Amulet. I, I think Tangram said he lost on turn two on the draw in the finals. Yeah, that's a tilt. Like, yeah, got that's, amuleted. That's going to happen sometimes. Uh, I mean, a force negation would help a lot with that too. And I think that that card is pretty underplayed right now. Yeah, I can buy that. But that's it, man. I'm, I'm working on modern, uh, mostly ignoring Pioneer. And I don't know, I dipped my toes into historic. I, I would still like to keep our uh, record of never talking about historic on this podcast though. Okay, no more words about it. Maybe in the future we'll find a window for it. But uh, it feels like a very temporary format and has not incentivized me to go deep in it. Nah, the the new cards are kind of cool, but like again, they're just missing a bunch of pieces. So it's I don't, it, it it's like the I'm I'm like the horse or the donkey, and arenas on my back with a carrot on a stick, and I just keep chasing after it. Like oh, maybe if I keep looking, Knight of the Reliquary will get good, and it's like nah, it's still really bad, man. Nope, swing and a miss. Sorry. Maybe, maybe someday. Nope, going to be replaced by Pioneer. Sorry, you had your chance. And Never I materialized. Mean, eh, I'd be fine with that. If I could play Pioneer on Arena, I mean, I'd be down. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, they they showed it as something that was on their radar, on their to-do list. I wonder if present events have pushed that initiative forward or slowed it down. I really don't know. Like, I can see... Uh, potential scenarios that encourage both options. Like certainly same may not have the utility of having your whole team in place and in the same zone. And that could be challenging to implement this quickly, but also there's a lot of onus on making money in non-traditional formats, like just basically printing cards and printing money when you're going to be going through a really hard time, have a really hard time selling paper magic cards. So I, I, I get the impetus for both quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if they came out with like historic anthologies three or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, you gotta do what you gotta do to get through these scenarios. And, uh, I, I think we'll see some stuff like that in the digital space. We're seeing it already with the dramatic expansion of OP. So, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if more things happen along those lines. Yeah, me too. I think it is just about brainstorming, finding what you think would work and hopefully coming up with ideas that don't have a huge opportunity cost if they fail. You know, like that, that would be the worst thing, right? Is like trying to implement something to help people or make people feel better or whatever. And then it's just like this catastrophic failure. And it's like, well, this, this is like uncharted territory, right? Like how are they supposed to get any of their decisions actually right? Because you don't have any player data to track for things like this scenario, right? So right. Who knows? right. Can't fault anyone for trying. Just throw stuff at the wall, see what sticks. Mm-hmm. And with that, it comes time for the question of the week. Every week, we solicit the fine folks in our Discord for their burning questions. We select one arbitrarily, honestly. And that person gets an Arena Deckless enamel pin to be mailed out at some point. If the postal service is even working, I honestly don't even know. When, when it's not scary to go to the post office, things will again be mailed out. Well, I mean, in theory, it's it's possible to mail stuff from your home, right? So... That, that shouldn't really be an excuse. 
Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know what your setup is like. I can't really mail anything beyond letters. And granted, a pin like mostly could just fit in a standard envelope. But the Ooh, way my mail slot is, it's like I, really tiny. Yeah, I tried to mail them in normal envelopes and got some sent back. So sorry about that, y'all. Okay. I, that was me being greedy. That that was just me and just straight greed. I was like, I do not want to spend time going on stamps.com or like paypal.com slash ship now and like typing in everyone's info and, you know, paying $3 for shipping or whatever. I was just like, I'm just going to put in these envelopes. It'll probably be fine. And it was not okay. I, I had a recent uh, similar experience where I was sending out some Yogmoths for a charity event that Ilias V put together. And I actually met up with Yogmoth's artist, had them signed, and then sent them to one of her auction winners. And Dude, I was ultra lazy is, about it. That's rad. It, yeah, it was dope. Uh, raised money for the Australian wildfires and protecting the koalas down there, which I am always down for. Are but they okay, I, by the way? I haven't heard anything about that. Like COVID just took over. Uh, the fires have stopped, if that is your question. If you're asking if yeah, koalas well, generally are okay, then I mean, I'm, I'm also, not sure. I'm also curious about the koalas, but yeah, mostly the fires. I'm glad the fires stopped. Yeah, I, I believe that is the case, that there's there's no longer any fires. And agreed, it's certainly great news. But anyway, I sent out these Yawgmoths just in an envelope in like a hard case. And they came back to me just like a week and a half later envelope decimated and shredded and the case cracked and they were just like not sufficient postage but I, i'm just thrilled they came back and i was able to send them back out because uh, <laughs> i really rolled the dice there and almost sent some good yog moths to their death yeah for for the most part it's just it's not worth it to take that risk like it, it is an, a plain white envelope will literally fit like one sheet of paper and that's it like you you put a yep. top loader in there and you're you're flipping coins as to what happens with the mail sorters you know Mm-hmm. 100%. Anyway, someone will get a pin, maybe, or the post office will eat it if I'm lazy. Who knows? But the, the question we selected this week comes from Katie Hansaker. Han- Hansaker? Not 100% sure. Katie, you'll have to correct us uh, after you hear this episode. I'm sorry, Katie. Uh, Katie wants to know, uh, I just finished moving this past weekend, so... What are your personal household essentials that you couldn't live without? Any amazing kitchen appliances, organizational supplies, furniture pieces, et cetera, that you absolutely love, Brian? I, I could go off on this because I am very big on like- Please do. Your comforts and okay, really so good- let, let, Since you're, you're going to go off, let me just say I need something to put my legs up. So either like an ottoman or I got a really nice, uh, it's not even like an L couch. It's like a U couch. And that has been awesome. And a pizza cutter. And honestly, if I had nothing else in my kitchen, I would probably be fine. Okay. So I'll start there as well. Because there's two things when I think about my kitchen that I absolutely couldn't live without. One is just a really good chef's knife. If you cut a lot of vegetables, or I guess even if you cut a lot of meat, uh, the difference between working with a really good chef's knife and like a mediocre one, it's just it just becomes a completely different activity. And it's one that now is like a lot of fun for me to do, whereas I kind of dreaded doing it previously. Brian so, likes cutting things. Got it. Yep. Really like using my good chef's knife. The other appliance I couldn't live without, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong. It's a- Bidet? Well, yes, I have one of those too. I also like that. Um, is, is that an appliance? Does that count? I think so. No, I, I wanted to talk about my 
Zojirushi? That's not Neuro- a real word. Zojirushi. That's, that's not a real word. It, you- it is a company. It is a Japanese company, and they produce what is called the Neuro Fuzzy Rice Cooker. And it is phenomenal. I never used to like make rice at home until I got this rice cooker. And it is so, so good. And you would just be like, well, what's the difference? All white rice comes out the same. No, it does not. I promise you it does not. It is cooked perfectly every single time by this rice cooker, especially like in these times where I'm cooking a lot more at home and it's super important that I'm able to do so at like a reasonable cost and with some food that is not immediately perishable and I keep around for a long time so I don't have to go to the grocery store over and over, uh, just using my rice cooker over and over. And this rice cooker is the bomb. I absolutely love it. So there was a period of like two to three years, not necessarily in a row, but uh, various times spread out throughout my life where I actually did cook a decent amount. And that led to me actually owning a decent amount of kitchen supplies and having just moved. Uh, Katie, I'm, I'm sorry. I... I feel your pain if you have a decent amount of stuff because I did. And a lot of it was like this kitchen stuff that I haven't really used in the last couple of years. But I have like a, a pressure cooker that is also mm-hmm. like a rice cooker type of thing. And it literally just has a button that that's rice, you know, so it's like impossible to mess up. And yet I have messed it up. So, yeah, Brian, you, you can definitely mess up rice. I have done it. Well, I have before I got this rice cooker, I used to cook it in my instant pot the pressure cooker thing that you're talking about and the difference in how the rice turns out in this rice cooker versus how it turned out in the instant pot is like night and day i will say that you wouldn't yeah. think it would be that big of a deal it was dude i've i've gotten like really you know like dry hard rice from restaurants i've gotten stuff that's just like you know super damp soggy grossness and mm-hmm. then it's like yeah you get like the actual good rice and you're like wow like this this is why i ordered rice the last 10 times and you know, I, I finally got there. I finally got rice that made me remember why I like rice, you know? Yep. Uh, yeah, so, it's, a, it's a night and day difference. Yeah, I, I get it, man. I'm right I'm, I'm right there with you. Last thing I will rave about, because we're talking furniture pieces, I have talked a bunch on our Discord about my love for the Herman Miller Aeron computer chair. It's the greatest computer chair ever made. I have two in my house, one for my office, one for my wife's office, and I could not spend as much time as I do at my computer without this chair. It's just incredible. It is costly, but they're like lifetime guaranteed and you have it forever and you just like all the back pain I used to have spending a bunch of time at a desk and all the uncomfortableness. It's not a thing anymore since I have had this chair. The first time I had it was at my uh, law office in New York. And I was just like, well, I need to get one of these for my house immediately because I don't ever want to sit in a different chair. So yeah. huge thumbs up for Herman Miller Aeron's. I've, I, I kind of stumbled into getting some upgrades where like, I actually have a good bed and good pillows now, which it's not like I, I spent a bunch of money or whatever. It was just like, well, I don't have roommates anymore and I have a house that I want to have a guest room in case people come visit. Ha ha jokes on me. Uh, so I, I want to get a new bed. Yeah. It's like, so uh, I could put my old bed in there and I don't know. Yeah. Like this, this bed is great. I just sleep peacefully. I don't wake up. I don't toss and turn a bunch like this. This has been a serious quality of life improvement. I definitely have never had a good computer chair. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. I definitely don't want to buy your million dollar chair, but I'm sure there's something that's like a little pricey for us non-lawyers. It, it's not a million dollars. You can find it occasionally on sale and just think of it like an investment over time. Like if you can, buy a computer chair every few years, this will replace that. I have like a $60 office max chair that is garbage and I've had it for like six years and it survived like three moves. So you poor thing. I feel for your spine already. I just want you to be comfortable, I'm, Gerald. I, dude, I'm I want slouching, you to have a good chair. I'm slouching in my chair right now. It's great. I'm comfortable. My posture is garbage, but I'm comfortable. I don't approve of this chair. I'm going I'm going to steal it. And when I finally get to come visit you, I'm going to steal your chair, hide it on you, and force 2025, you. 2025, baby. Let's go. Can't, can't wait. How, how many of your chairs can I buy with my stimulus check? That's what I want to know. 0. 0.5? Uh, you, can get, you can get one. You can okay. get one. Yeah, I'm off it. <laughs> that, that does it it's completely you, disqualified you know how many tombstone pizzas i can buy with that stimulus check dude look under my present circumstances i also would not be buying this chair i bought it way back in different times so i understand yeah. what you're saying yeah I'd, I'd rather sit on the floor and eat tombstones I because i, I have i have the one pizza cutter in my kitchen and that's all i need dog and that is chopping up tombstones like nobody's business right now yeah dude I, it's it is the one and granted, I have two now because I had one that was just packed away in a garage with all my kitchen stuff that I never used. So I just bought a new one rather than unpacking it. But this is this is like literally the only thing where I use it and I just wash it immediately and put it back in the drawer because I know I'm going to use it probably in the next two days. <laughs> it has to be ready for more action. It can't like sit in the dishwasher. No, no. Uh-uh. That's, that's, dude, there's no way to treat the most used thing in your house, you know? It makes sense. Treat your things uh, with kindness and they will reward you, I think. Game. Good luck.